recent episode, Scott and I discussed liturgical vestments, which was, by the way, a very popular episode on YouTube. Thanks for doing that, Scott. If you weren't aware that we have a YouTube channel, feel free to check it out. It's exactly the same audio content you get here, just adding images, and we only do it for a selection of episodes. Anyway, this episode is kind of a sequel to that one, this time focusing on priestly garb that is non-liturgical, what priests wear when they're not saying Mass or hearing confession or offering benediction. As you might expect, there's been some change across time and geography over the 2,000-year history of the Church, but there's also been a surprising degree of continuity. The History of Clerical Clothing, this time on Catholic History Trek. God bless America. God love you. I want these to be my first words of greeting to you. They will be the concluding words on each broadcast. I am not the Catholic candidate for president. I am the Democratic Party's candidate for president. Annuncio Lopez, Gaudium Abemus Papam. You've embarked on a Catholic history trek. As covered in episode 132, the episode Kevin just mentioned, in the early days of the church, there was no distinctive garb for celebrating mass or performing the rites of the church. This lack of distinctive dress also applied to the regular, everyday clothing of the men ordained to the major and minor orders of the church. Of course, with Christianity illegal and frequently persecuted, this is understandable. But unlike the vestments which began to emerge with Christianity's legalization, specific clerical clothing was not so quick to follow suit, pun intended. In fact, in the year 428, Pope Celestine rebuked certain bishops in Gaul for wearing clothing which made them stand out. In the letter, the pontiff wrote, We should be distinguished from the common people by our learning, not by our clothes, by our conduct, not by our dress, and by cleanness of mind, not by the care we spend on our person. The first evidence of the clergy dressing differently from the laity seems to be around the 7th or 8th century, when the laity began to adopt the dress of the barbarians who had invaded Italy, with their short tunics, breeches, and mantles. The clergy, meanwhile, continued to wear the traditional Roman attire of longer, flowing robes. And various councils and synods from the 6th century onward enforced this, forbidding skimpy clothing, bright colors, or extravagant styling and ornamentation. One of the earliest, the Council of Braga in 572, required the clergy wear a tunic which reached down to their feet. Through the medieval era, additional local synods enforced similar mandates, and in the 9th century, Pope John VIII even sent a letter to the archbishops of Canterbury and York to admonish their local clergy to wear these long tunics. These regulations even became regulated by canon law, and by the year 1215, the Fourth Lateran Council decreed that clerics must wear garments closed in the front and free from extravagant cape-like lengths. Also around this time, the cassock became the unique clothing of the clergy. An older article of clothing originating around the 5th or 6th century in France, its French name, soutane, comes from the Latin and Italian sotana, meaning beneath, which referred to a fur lining the cassock originally had, and this animal fur is where we get the English name cassock, which is derived from an early French cassock, meaning a fur or an animal hide. 
although in Latin, this full-length garment is officially called the vestis talaris. Additional synods enforced these regulations. One was held in England in 1222 under Cardinal Stephen Langton. Langton was instrumental in dividing and numbering the Bible and for the famous Magna Carta. Check out episode 54 for more on him. In this synod, priests were to be attired in what was called the ecclesiastical habit, which would have been the cassock, plus an outer garment or coat called the capa clausa, but more on that later. Apparently, Langton's words went unheeded, as a council only 15 years later, under the papal legate Otho, pointed out how the clergy in England were dressing more like knights than clerics, and offenders would be punished. As the medieval passed into the modern period and the Renaissance gave way to the Reformation, dramatic changes occurred across the religious and secular worlds. But one thing that did not change much was the standard clothing of the Catholic cleric. Official church policy during the 16th century continued to require the cassock, or the vestis talaris, as it was called in the Latin documents. The Council of Trent reiterated the importance of distinctively clerical dress in characteristically forceful and clear terms. Clerics must always wear the clerical dress appropriate to their own order, so that they may show by the suitability of their outward dress the interior uprightness of their characters. Yet so great has grown the rashness of some and their contempt of religion at the present time, that giving little weight to personal dignity and clerical honor, they wear lay clothes even in public, a walking contradiction, with one foot among divine things and the other among those of the flesh. The council went on to decree a punishment of suspension from their faculties and church income if persisting in such an offense after a warning. As Trent's admonitions imply, the requirement of priestly dress was not always followed, but the rule remained in place. Giving specific application to the Council of Trent, Pope Sixtus V in 1589 mandated the cassock for all clergy, including those in minor orders. Scott has an episode about those. In 1624, Pope Urban VIII specified some more details regarding the clerical costume. A cincture for the cassock, the cloak over the cassock to be ankle length, dark underclothing, such as the hosiery underneath the cassock, no embroidery or lace on collars or cuffs, and a certain style of hat. The official policy on clerical dress continued to be strict into the 18th century, when Pope Benedict XIII not only forbade the wearing of lay clothing by clergy, but also attached severe penalties. Even throughout the Tridentine period, however, exceptions were made and leniency permitted as local circumstances required. For example, in India, where black clothing was taboo and hampered evangelization, or for missionaries doing hard labor for whom the cassock would be impractical. This combination of strict universal rule and more lenient local variation was notably evident in the British Empire and her colonies or former colonies, which includes the United States. In the colonial period, Catholic priests were in some cases compelled to operate covertly, which obviously meant foregoing distinctively clerical clothing. Through the early 19th century, perhaps due to a desire to be both non-confrontational in terms of religious polemics and also appealing in terms of attracting potential converts, American priests continued by and large to dress like typical American gentlemen, decorously and mostly in black, but without distinctives such as cassocks or Roman collars. As the Catholic community in the U.S. grew, as legal and social discrimination ebbed, and as the church became more organized and institutional, canonical norms on clerical dress, like other canonical norms, 
property, for example, see our recent episode, became more commonly observed. Even so, a somewhat more lenient approach characterized the English-speaking world through the 19th century, as reflected in the decrees of the Third Plenary Council of Baltimore in 1884. We wish, therefore, and enjoin that all keep the law of the church, and that when at home or when engaged in the sanctuary, they should always wear the cassock, which is proper to the clergy. When they go abroad for duty or relaxation, or when upon a journey, they may use a shorter dress, but still one that is black in color, and which reaches to the knees so as to distinguish it from lay costume. We enjoin upon our priests as a matter of strict precept that both at home and abroad, and whether they are residing in their own diocese or outside of it, they should wear the Roman collar. So this directive from the U.S. both invokes the ancient clerical garment, the cassock, and also introduces a new element, the Roman collar. For many Catholics raised in the post-Vatican II church, the Roman collar may seem to be the quintessential piece of clerical clothing, but it was actually an innovation of the post-Reformation period. There were many kinds of neckbands that were employed by Protestant ministers after the Reformation. The white tab we recognize today and call Roman collar was one form, and it became popular among Catholic priests in some regions beginning in the 19th century. It seems to have spread primarily in areas where the cassock was not used exclusively as a way to add priestly identity to outfits that otherwise might be common to laity. Many Protestant clergy continued to wear it, and they still do, but it was so common among Catholic priests that it became associated more with the Catholic clergy than any other, and thus somewhat ironically is called the Roman collar. Of course, the cassock can be combined with the Roman collar, and that combination became very common and remains so. This basic pattern continued into the 20th century, as exhibited in Canon 136 in the 1917 Code. All clerics should wear fitting ecclesiastical attire according to the legitimate customs of the place and the regulations of the local ordinary. This directive implies that there should be something distinctive, ecclesiastical attire, but it also offers much latitude for local or regional adaptation. This is a recognition of both different cultural norms regarding dress, as well as different practical necessities. Even so, follow-up documents from the Congregation of the Council, today's dicastery for the clergy, continued to stress the importance of distinctively clerical dress, especially when exemptions were employed for less than serious reasons. In a missive from 1926, for example, the congregation lamented, that some priests even lay aside their clerical garb and dress exactly as laymen in order to enjoy greater freedom and liberty. Moreover, there are some priests who even at other times give themselves the same liberty and dress as laymen in order to visit cities where they are not known and to attend shows that are unbecoming and immoral. In the early 20th century, even though the Roman collar and black suit were in evidence, judging by the historical photos I've seen, even American priests had by and large joined the rest of the world and adopted the cassock as standard. But the 1960s and the period following the Second Vatican Council changed this, as it did so many other areas Scott and I have covered. The change had much less to do with church law and much more to do with church culture. There was nothing in the documents of the Second Vatican Council that addressed explicitly clerical dress, other than indirectly in the endorsement of the habit for consecrated religious. There was no abrogation of the 1917 Code on the point, and the view that church law basically remained the same is supported by the fact that the revised 1983 Code essentially repeated the formulation of 1917, 
Canon 284 in the Revised Code says, Clerics are to wear suitable ecclesiastical garb according to the norms issued by the Conference of Bishops and according to legitimate local customs. In the U.S., the National Conference of Catholic Bishops occasionally issues complementary norms that apply Canon 284. The wording of the 1998 decree is that clerics are to dress in conformity with their sacred calling, and, outside liturgical functions, a black suit and Roman collar are the usual attire for priests. The use of the cassock is at the discretion of the cleric. I should note that this kind of directive from the USCCB, besides explicitly leaving some room for discretion among priests affected by it, also does not apply to Eastern Rite clerics, nor to priests of religious institutes, Jesuits, Franciscans, and so on, who would be governed by their own superiors or communities. So, there's going to be some diversity. The U.S. bishop's particular application of Canon 284 demonstrated that the Roman collar, especially as part of a black suit or similar outfit, had become, by the late 20th century, the more common priestly garb, replacing the cassock. But in many places, especially in Western Europe, priests eschewed even the Roman collar and appeared in lay clothing, not unlike the early American situation. This was very common among priests who were university professors, for example. You can even find photos of a young Father Joseph Ratzinger, the future tradition-minded Pope Benedict XVI, in a secular-looking suit and tie during his professorial days in Germany. Again, matching the pattern in other areas of church life, Pope Paul VI expressed concern that the liberalizing of church practice had gone too far in the years after the Council. In a general audience of 1969, Paul spoke critically of priests who secularized their dress completely as a reflection of the secularization of their way of thinking and way of living. In 1978, he lamented a mania for laicization among priests, including the abandonment of the external mark of the priesthood, the sacred cassock. But as I've noted, there was more room for both regional variation and personal discretion in the post-conciliar era, even within the bounds of the law. While this latitude tended to be exploited to move away from traditional dress in the 70s and 80s, it would seem that trends have reversed, at least in some places, including many dioceses in the United States. I certainly see a lot more seminarians and priests in cassocks today, outside liturgical functions, and even in what might be considered casual or everyday settings, than I did 20 or 30 years ago. As a sort of backhanded recognition of the importance of clerical dress, perhaps most pointedly the cassock itself, as articulated by canon law, the Vatican congregations, and the popes, the public wearing of religious garb by priests or other religious has continued to be a contentious issue in some countries. Anti-Catholic authoritarian regimes regularly outlaw such clothing. When Pope John Paul II visited Mexico in 1979, for example, he technically violated anti-clerical Mexican law by wearing pontifical robes and celebrating Mass in public. Over the past 1,000 years of the cassock being the primary dress of the secular clergy, various symbolism has become associated with the outfit. Room for a collar around the neck is symbolic of a yoke for obedience, a sash around the waist is, like the cincture, representative of chastity, and the cassock's 33 buttons represent the 33 years Jesus was on earth, although I'm pretty sure the cassocks worn by altar boys have fewer buttons, but I forget the number at the moment. I'll have to ask my son next time he serves. And the all-black color signifies poverty and death to die to oneself. And speaking of color, while the ordinary color of the Roman cassock 
and clerical clothing in general is entirely black, there are exceptions. Historically, on these black cassocks, patriarchs, archbishops, bishops, and other prelates were allowed red buttons trim and an inside hem, and for some liturgical and public ceremonies, their entire cassock is purple. For cardinals, these buttons and trim are scarlet red, as too is their entire cassock on some occasions. And there are other color variations, with the most notable being the Pope's all-white cassock. The Pope wearing a white cassock is often attributed to Pope St. Pius V, who, as a Dominican, continued to wear the white Dominican habit as Pope. But there's a problem with this story. While it's true Pope Pius V was a Dominican, the part about him being the first Pope to don an all-white cassock is not accurate. If you look at El Greco's painting of Pope Pius V, you will see him wearing a white cassock with a red mantle over it, but if you look at Raphael's portrait of Pope Julius II from half a century earlier, you will see this pontiff dressed identically. Same white cassock, same red mantle. And if you go back another half century to Melozzo de Forli's fresco of Pope Sixtus IV, you will see him also dressed in the white cassock with the red mantle. That fresco shows the Pope investing Bartolomeo Platina as the first head of the Vatican Library. For more on him, his cookbook, and comets, check out episode 109. But for more on the Pope wearing white, it would seem Popes in white predated Pope St. Pius V by about three centuries. Order 13 from about 1274 is the oldest explicit mention of the Pope's white cassock, but the great medieval liturgist, Bishop William Durante, wrote that the Pope always wears white vestment to signify innocence and charity. Durante had served in the Roman Curia beginning with the pontificate of Pope Clement IV in the mid-1260s, so it would seem the white cassock can at least be dated to this time, if not earlier. To top off the priestly outfit is the clerical hat, one which shares the same name but different spelling with an Italian firearms company is the Beretta. It likely originated as the burris or berettum, which was the hood of a cloak. We hear of the berettum in the 10th century, but as is the case with many vestments and priestly articles of clothing, it's difficult to pin down if this meant something in general use or the specific clerical item. Also, it's difficult to say when the berettum developed into a standalone hat, which was a skull cap with a small tuft. Today, the beretta is square-shaped and still has this tuft, along with three peaks on three of the cap's four sides. The original cap was soft enough to easily be indented by the fingers for putting it on and off, which likely gave rise to these three peaks. And it's believed the square shape originated with the square caps worn by university doctors, which is believed to have also given rise to the modern square cap worn at college graduations. The wearing of a head covering, especially at important indoor functions, was reserved for a select few, such as these doctors of theology. And art from the 15th century, such as that of the Council of Constance, depicts such men in Beretta-shaped hats. Around the 16th century, this privilege of wearing the Beretta began to extend to all members of the clergy, with the hat's color becoming the distinction for the rank of the wearer. Red was for cardinals, and black was for priests. The cardinal's beretta also lacked the tuft in the middle. By the late 19th century, many bishops, prelates, and canons had begun wearing purple berettas, so Pope Leo XIII granted them this privilege, 
legitimizing their color deviation. Brettas were highly regulated, not only in their external color, but in the color of the lining, and the material was to be made of wool, although cardinals and bishops were allowed to have one also made of silk for summer use. And their use, outside of personal at-home use, was described in the rubrics of the church. They could be used for processions and when giving absolution in the confessional. They could also be worn when entering Mass, when seated during Mass, and when leaving Mass, but not when celebrating Mass. Another hat, with no symbolic meaning or special origin, is the Capello Romano, which is simply an ordinary head covering when outdoors. It is a low-crowned hat with a round, broad brim, which has given rise to its nickname as a Saturno, because it sort of looks like the top half of the planet Saturn. In the 18th century, the brim of the hat, or Saturn's rings, if you will, began to be folded up, usually on three sides, forming a triangular-shaped cocked hat, the type of hat popularly associated with soldiers of the American Revolutionary War era. If you do an internet search for cocked hat or Revolutionary War hat, you'll see what I mean. In the mid-19th century, priests stopped folding up the sides and reverted to the original round brim, which is how you'll find the Capello Romano styled today. At one time, they were required to be made of beaver hair, but allowances were enacted for it to also be made of ordinary felt, which lowered the price for the priests and increased comfort in the summer heat. As with the Beretta, the Capello Romano is uniformly black for all ecclesiastics, except for the higher orders, specifically the Pope and his cardinals. The crown is also encircled with a silk band or cord, of which the color can be indicative of the dignity or rank of the hat's wearer. You can find photos of all the modern popes wearing a red Capello Romano with gold trim, except Pope Francis. He made his position clear in 2016 that he is not a fan of this traditional hat, branding those who wear it as rigid. Another piece of clerical headwear is the Zucchetto. Also known as the calotte or skullcap, it's a flat circular piece of cloth or silk, depending on the season. Cloth for winter, silk for summer. And like other head toppers, its color varies. Black for priests and the lower orders of the clergy, purple for patriarchs, archbishops, and bishops, red for cardinals, and white for the pope. The small cap was introduced as a practicality, to cover the tonsure, with the Roman tonsure essentially being cut in the same place men typically go bald, some of us could benefit from the Zucchetto to prevent sunburn and keep us warm, but we're out of luck. Because the Zucchetto was introduced specifically for the tonsure, which is given to men entering the clerical state, the Zucchetto has been forbidden for non-clerics to wear. You can check out episode 14 for more on tonsures and the history of the minor orders. In the 1200s, when legislation was imposing the cassock, it also mandated for priests and bishops the wearing of a capa clausa, or cape, over the cassock, an item Scott mentioned briefly earlier in this episode. The capa clausa, or the cape, is not to be confused with the cope, which has a liturgical function. Scott covered that in our vestments episode. This practice obviously was not as universal or enduring as the cassock, but it did survive in particular ways. Today, the capa magna is sometimes worn by higher clergy, bishops, cardinals, and popes. It's a large cape closed in the front and is not strictly speaking liturgical. It's only worn in procession or in choir, 
that is, when the prelate is attending but does not have a liturgical function in the Mass. Another garment that came into use in the late Middle Ages and may have derived from the cape is the mozetta, a short, cape-shaped garment with a buttoned front, covering the shoulders and reaching only to the elbow. It originally had a small hood, which was discarded after Vatican II. Like the capamagna, it's only worn by higher clergy. You'll often see it as part of the Episcopal uniform in official portraits of bishops. Mosettas for popes and cardinals are almost always red. For bishops, amaranth. That's a kind of purple red. Finally, we have the amus or almus or amutium. This is not to be confused with the amus, A-M-I-C-E, from the vestments episode. The amus I'm talking about is A-M-E-S-S, so I'll call it an almus instead to differentiate. The almus also emerged in the Middle Ages. It's a fur-lined tippet, or shoulder covering, and hood, initially worn for practical reasons, for warmth in the cold churches of the Middle Ages. At times it fell loosely on the back and shoulders and was drawn over the head when occasion required. The ends, becoming narrower and usually rounded, hung down in front like a stole. The almus is closely related to the academic hood that survives in ornamental form on university graduation robes, but it seems in the contemporary era to have been largely superseded by the Mosetta. Unlike Kevin and myself, who are more prone to wear something based on factors like, is it clean? Is it going to keep me warm? Is it within reach? Clerical clothing has a much higher purpose than the outfits Kevin or I wear on a daily basis. Clerical clothing points the wearer and those who encounter him to something higher. It sets the priest apart as one dedicated to God, and also makes choosing his daily wardrobe a lot easier. For many centuries, cassocks, capes, and berettas have served that purpose well. But what does the future hold? A return to cassocks, more black suits? Whatever the choice, hopefully it's not t-shirts and yoga pants. But who knows? One thing I do know is the timeless tradition of leaving a rating, subscribing to Catholic History Trek, and sharing it with others is one that will never go out of style. Gloria Patri et Filio et Spiritui Sancto, Sicuterat in Principio et Nunc et Semper et in Saecula Saeculorum. Amen. Thank you for listening to Catholic History Trek. You can reach us at catholichistorytrek at gmail.com.